Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. So there once was a town that was high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. And the stream was fed by deep springs high in the mountains. And the the water in the stream was crystal clear. And children laughed and played in it, and swans and geese swam on it. It was one of those streams you could could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom. And, And high up in the hills, beyond anyone's sight, there lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. And he had been hired so long ago that nobody remembered you know, a time when he wasn't there. And he would travel from one spring to another in the hills, and he'd remove branches or falling leaves and debris that might pollute the water. He had a very important job, but his work was unseen. And so one year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. And no one supervised this old man anyway, and they had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer. And giving money to an unseen uh, stream cleaner had become a luxury they felt like they could no longer afford. So the old man just sort of left his post. But high up in the mountains, what happened was the the springs went unattended. Twigs and branches uh, muddied up the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. And farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. Uh, But at first, nobody really noticed. After a while, though, the water wasn't the same. It began to look brackish. The swans that used to be in the river flew elsewhere. You know, the the, the river no longer had that crisp scent that kind of drew everybody to swim and play by it. Some people in the town that would drink from it began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. Because you see, the life of the village depended upon the stream. And the life of that stream depended upon the keeper. And so the city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired, and after a while, as the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, children began to play on its banks again, illness was replaced by health, the swans came back, and the village came back to life. So this this story, uh, this guy named John Ortberg retold it in his book, Soul Keeping. And after telling this story, he adds this line. He said, Well, the life of the village depended on the the health of the stream. And he goes, the stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. So we're at the halfway point of the year, somehow. Somehow we're halfway through this year. And so I want to ask you a question. How are things with your soul? How are things with your soul? When was the last time you created the space, had the undistracted time to sit down and think, how are things with my soul? I know this is the type of question where to answer it properly, you would need more than eight seconds of a pause (laughs) to think about it. And maybe you're you're thinking, how are things? I don't even have a framework for that. Maybe maybe ask yourself this question, you know, how is my inner life doing? What always kind of gets me about that short story of the keeper of the springs is that the stream did not get polluted by anything intentional. 
It's not as if the story was, and we found out that there was this chemical company up there dumping pollution into it, and that's what happened. No, what happened to the stream? It just went unattended. It was neglected. And the eventual unhealth of the stream came from misplaced priorities, misplaced resources, and neglect. And in my experience, both personally in observing the life of others, busyness, distraction, and misplaced priorities are some of the greatest enemies of the spiritual life. I've, I've seen more people shipwreck their faith by the long, slow fade than by any major one thing. Because busyness, neglect, you know, not, just, just not paying attention can have just a, as much of a damaging effect on your soul as, as some of the big things that we always think about. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. In 1 Timothy 4.16 Paul gives this important charge to, the, to, to his mentee, Timothy, and he says in one line, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Another version, another way you can translate it is, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. And I think that's not just for Timothy. I think that's for us. We're called, in a sense, to keep a close eye on our, on our walk uh, the word translated watch, it can mean to examine closely, to keep an eye on, to check or inspect. I mean, there's a reason every year, if you're driving a car, why well, you have to get it inspected. You have to have someone look at it. There's other major things. You know, brakes are important. Uh, you know, I, my, my truck is newer, so it's always nice going to get it inspected because it kind of goes right through. But my old truck was a 14-year-old Toyota kind of a beater. And every year I'm just praying, like, oh, please make it through. Please make it through. Will this check engine light ever go off? Uh, but we, we realize that in life. There are certain things like preventative maintenance and inspection. It's really helpful. And it's almost as if we need that for our souls. It's almost as if we, we need friends. We need those around us to help us check in on how are we doing? How's our, how is our interior life? Because... It can just really go by the wayside just by neglect, by, by just casual indifference. And the reason why uh, Paul sets this trajectory is because of the way, uh, for us is that when we, when we pay close attention to our soul, you know, all that, it, it, it sets our trajectory. It sets the trajectory for everything else. So this morning, uh, we're starting our summer series. We're kind of taking a small pause from Ephesians this summer, and we're going into uh, a series on our Elm City Rhythms. And if you've been a part of our church for a long time, you're familiar with them. If you're newer, you probably don't quite know what they are, except for maybe you've seen them on the wall. So I'm just curious, in this room, how many people would say, I've, I'm familiar with Elm City's rhythms, and I've heard teaching on it before, and I, and I kind of know what they mean? Okay, that's good. And how many are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, we're new? Good, okay, that's, an, that's, an, that's, a, that's a pretty even, even split. I, it makes me excited to teach on it. And so this is what our rhythms are. We use the acronym REACH, and it stands for rest, eat and engage, acts of love, confession, and home. And these are five practices that not only help you pay attention to your way of life, but they also positively help you put into practice the way of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, a verse we talk about all the time, Jesus has this one line where he's t telling his disciples, he says, teach them to observe 
or teach them to obey or teach them to put into practice everything that I have commanded you. And we all know the difference between just teaching somebody something for information transfer and teaching somebody something where it gets put into practice. And so following Jesus is less like, or learning to follow Jesus is less like sitting in a history classroom and learning all these facts. And it's much more like being an apprentice to a, someone in the trades, like a plumber or electrician. I mean, you, you sit in a classroom, you learn stuff, but it's designed to be hands-on so that whoever teaches you, your, your, your master teacher, teaches you to become like them. That, those are a lot of the images of what following Jesus in the scriptures looks like. And so these rhythms are really designed to help us put our faith into practice and not just have, have everything up here. And this is not everything about following Jesus, but I think these are very helpful categories. And so it's going to be all summer. We're probably going to take two weeks or so on each one to give you enough time to actually try this, not just, not just learn about it. Um, but I want everyone to just kind of take a deep breath right now and listen to the words of Jesus. Take it, we're going to take a deep breath and listen to the words of Jesus. And imagine, you know, hypothetically speaking, you find yourself in a spot where maybe you're a bit overwhelmed by life. Maybe you're anxious about the future, quietly struggling with your faith, burdened by expectations you're not living up to, maybe feeling a little burnt out. You know, hypothetically speaking, of course, I'm sure you know someone else you could, uh, you know, share this with. Uh, but just imagine that that, that, that that might be you. Listen to these words of Jesus where he says this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. What an invitation. How good does that sound? And so what I want to do for a second is invoke some active listening for everyone. Sometimes one of the, I would say, weaknesses of preaching is that you do everybody's thinking for them. Like, here's the passage, and here's what you can think, and here's the main points, and you passively listen. But I want to invoke some active listening, where I'm going, to, I'm going to read it again, and I just want you to think, what jumps out at me? What about this passage or this invitation is most appealing to me? So as I read, just listen. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus giving this invitation to a group of people that his lives are difficult, who uh, are, you know, if you think about the context, this is, this is not, hey, come follow me, and, and life is going to be one big long vacation but he's still offering us this real invitation unto himself. And I was thinking about that this week, of like, what, what is jumping out to me about this? And, the, and maybe you'll resonate with, with some of the things. But the first thing was just the nature of the invitation. Jesus is saying, you know, come unto me. He, he, he's inviting us to himself. Like, I, I don't want anyone to miss that because we're going to go into a series that's all about here, here are these practices to put into play, to help you follow Jesus, which I think are very important. But the invitation of Jesus is not first to a way of life, it's to knowing Him. 
It's coming to me. It's not, hey, come and do these things for me. It's coming to me. And I think I need to be remembered of that, and it was especially helpful for me because even the nature of just what I do, as a pastor, you can almost like measure your worth, in a sense, by your spiritual output. Like, oh, this is happening, this is happening. And you don't do it intentionally, but almost it feels like working for, you're like working for Jesus as a job. And you have to have, you know, have these benchmarks to put off of, you know, can I justify my paycheck, my existence, whatever. And you never consciously do that. It's so easy to slip into that. But what is Jesus saying? First and foremost, come unto me. It, you know, don't, it doesn't start with come and do these things for me. And without that, following Jesus can just become a list of do's and don'ts, a list of meetings to attend, a great big mission to accomplish. But ultimately, it's just going to slide into the very thing that Jesus is calling, out, calling us out of, a weary and heavy laden life. You're just going just gonna to swap one set of burdens for another. And the second thing that was so helpful to me was the type of people who are being invited. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Weary and heavy laden. And weary, it's this image of a person exhausted from a long day of work or a long journey. You know that feeling where you've just been going and going and going and you were just wiped? Or maybe you've been traveling or you're going this long hike and you're just like, oh, I am spent. That's what it's weary. And heavy laden, it's someone who's carrying a big burden with them. That what they are carrying with them is weighing them down. And you're getting to the point that you can no longer carry this burden anymore because it's too heavy for you. And in the context of Jesus giving this teaching, um, this was a jab at the rabbis and Pharisees who when people would come to them, what they would offer them as, as, as teaching almost wasn't helpful. It was rules, regulations, weariness, the burdens would just keep adding onto it, and they would weigh people down with guilt, rules, and legalism. But honestly, for the most part, I do not run into a lot of people who are exhausted from their pursuit of following the rules. I feel like in being a pastor now, going on 15, 18 years, I have met very few legalists. In the, I mean, I've met plenty of legalists. I've met very few Pharisees where I'm watching their life, and their whole life is just revolved around following the rules really strictly. I mean, the Pharisees would take their salt and their spices and divvy it out <laughs> so they made sure that 10% went there. I mean, they had rules on how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. This is not what I'm running into with a lot of people. This is just not of like, you're trying to get people to come to church twice a month, and that's like the big goal, never mind. Like, you know, oh, make sure you don't walk more than a quarter mile because you're breaking the Sabbath rules. Like, that is, that's not our context. But that does not mean that I still do not run into plenty of people, myself included, in this room that find themselves weary, heavy laden, and burnt out. A few years ago, there was this smartphone game called Don't Get Fired. And a Korean developer, he made it, and it's just like such a sadistic game, but made it for a way, in his words, for people to experience the extremely harsh working conditions in Korea. So you'd find yourself playing this game and getting fired for all sorts of random reasons all the time. I have no idea why anyone would play this game. But there's one feature that I found really interesting, I think relevant to all of us. The only real control you had in the game was as a, you had to weigh sort of your avatar's health against the amount of work that you produce. So to kind of, you know, play the games where there's the health meter above you, you had to monitor that. 
But what, was, what would happen was, if you would produce a lot, your health would go down, you'd get sick, and then you get fired. But if you, worked, if you maintained your avatar's health, you wouldn't produce enough. And guess what would happen? You'd get fired. So no matter what you do, you kept getting fired. And there's this one line from a review that stuck out. It said this, in the world of don't get fired, it is all but impossible to fulfill one's ambition while staying sane and healthy at the same time. Do you ever feel that tension? Do you ever feel that? That, that at times there's this maddening balance between everything you have to do or want to do, the amount of time you have available to do it, and your sanity. When Jesus calls those who are weary and heavy laden, this is not something for people 2,000 years ago. This is for us right here, right now. It'd almost be helpful if we had a little meter above our heads that we can kind of monitor our, 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 our health progress. I mean, several times in conversation over the past years, I've, I've heard so many versions of, I just, I just can't do it all. Being completely overwhelmed, like I can't work full-time, exercise, eat healthy, parent, and maintain friendships. Or I can't travel this much for work, keep helping everybody out, be on this committee, take my kids all over the place, and still have downtime. Or listen to students, and they're saying some version, I can't go to school, play sports, take AP classes, volunteer, and get some sleep. There always feels like there's too much to do, not enough time, not enough energy to do it. And you kind of get stuck where you feel like you're doing too much and not really doing anything that well. I know that doesn't apply to anybody in here, but I'm sure there's someone you can run into <laughs> that, this, this, that this would be, and be true of them. There is this way of life, a rhythm of life, that our American culture is going to try to suck us all into. And it's going to be filled with lots of good stuff, but it's also going to lead us towards being busy, distracted, stretched too thin, and ultimately unhealthy. And so what often suffers in all of this is your soul. Not because you're intending to sabotage it, but through neglect. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to be busy. I mean, a lot, you can't, for the most part, we can't go through life without not being busy. But with these, think of these rhythms, what we're going to try to walk into is guardrails, as, as ways to help within the busyness of it to still prioritize that which is most important. Because if you have... 10 things you should do, and you only have enough time to do six of them, how do you choose the most important six? How do you make sure that the things that, that, that get dropped are not the ones that you most need, not the ones that nourish your soul, not the ones that bring you life? I think the third thing I see from this passage that I love is that what is being offered by Jesus is the solution to the problem. It says, all of you who are weary and exhausted, what do I have for you? rest. All of you who are unsettled in your soul and might feel, what do I have? I have life. There's, there's you know, these, these invitations in Scripture that it's all who are hungry, all who are thirsty in Isaiah. You know, come, come to the waters and drink. Come have bread. What Jesus has on offer for us is the solution to the hunger that often comes up within us. You know, when we started Elm City, I was burdened I really wanted to help start a church where people experience what it means to follow the way of Jesus in the Monday through Saturday parts of their life and not just Sunday. Really had this desire to how do we be a community that builds in rhythms and ways of life that makes discipleship to Jesus, again, a part of our Monday through Saturday 
and not just something we do on Sunday mornings. And of course, every church wants to do that, but it's hard. I mean, five years in, it's still hard to figure out. I remember sharing with, a, with, a, with a, someone who was coaching me at the time about our rhythms, and he wasn't saying initially as, as, a, as a diss, but he's like, good luck. Good luck trying to help install this because this is messing with people's schedule and time and habits and resources. Like, almost like, yeah, good luck getting people to get on board with that. But at the same time, what's the alternative? Well, what is the alternative to a way of life that sometimes doesn't match up with the way of Jesus? You know, sometimes as people say, hey, following Jesus is hard, but not following him is harder. Discipleship to Jesus is hard, but a life of non-discipleship can be even harder. You know, in both, and what drew me to these rhythms is that in both the Old and New Testament, followers of God have understood that it wasn't just enough to change our minds about something. It was important to build in practices or disciplines that rehearse these truths and make them real in our life. You know, who hasn't had the experience of listening to a message or a sermon or just some, something you heard, being like, that's great, being convicted by it, but then leaving and nothing happening? And why does nothing happen? Often it's because it did not affect us enough in a way that it was put into practice. So Mark Buchanan, he wrote a great book called The Rest of God, and he said, practices make real our change of mind. Practices take something from our head to our hands and into our hearts. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk about what does it mean to rest? What does it look like to embrace God's gift of slowing down every day? And, and then also learning how to embrace the Sabbath. We're going to look at what does it mean to eat and engage? You know, how, how, how do you intentionally invite others in, uh, you know, work on your eco's list? We're going to look at what does it mean to you know, intentionally have acts of love? We're not just casually and haphazardly, but how do you every week be like, who can I bless this week? We're going to look at what does confession mean? Why is it so important to learn how to rehearse the gospel? To be able to say, you know, I messed up here. But you know what? God offers forgiveness. And then what does it look like to invest in your home or think about whatever your inner circle is? Not everyone's in the same stage of life. But these rhythms help us to put into practice what we believe. But what we're going to do today, and this is kind of the intro to it, but what we're going to do today and what we're going to end with is another important rhythm. We're going to take, we're going to receive and take communion together. Because these why and why it was so important to think to start with this is that we need the rhythm of just rehearsing the gospel to ourselves, the rhythm of remembering that this isn't just, uh, you know, five life hacks, five habits. No, these are ways that we are connecting to God. And then, when, but when Jesus said, come unto me, you know, when he said that in Matthew 11, he knew that the cross was coming. When he said, come into me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He knew how much that invitation was going to cost him. It was going to cost his, shed, his broken body and his shed blood so we could be reconciled to him. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.